Welcome to another sermon podcast from Central Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode will feature a sermon delivered by the Reverend Ruth Santana Grace. The sermon is based on scripture from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 31, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Central Sunday morning service for the 4th of February, 2024, the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time, was streamed to our website, our Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. A complete video or sermon audio replay of the service may be found on cpcatlanta.org. Select the upper right menu, and then Sermons Under Worship. That was indeed the word of the Lord. Good morning. Grace and peace I bring you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bring you greetings on behalf of the commissioners of the 225th General Assembly. I also bring you greetings on behalf of my other partner in resurrection possibilities, the Reverend Siobhan Starling Lewis, who is preaching at another congregation this morning. We were elected to serve with a two-year term while we still have day jobs, just to let you all know. <laughs> to serve this two-year term on behalf of the 9,000 congregations, more or less, who sent representatives to consider issues of concern, of importance to the church at this time and this place. So it's really a privilege to be traveling around the nation especially, and some of the globe, which I'll share with you all, to see where it is that resurrection is happening. Because we know we live in a world where things are always scarce and negative. So it's a privilege to be an ambassador of hope under the banner that we selected, Unbounded, We Thrive. And I'm really happy to be with you all for personal reasons. You are loving on this extraordinary woman who you recently called, and now another person that you recently called. You are at the beginning of this season of great renewal, right? Amen? Amen. So I will just say briefly that when I first met your uh, Shannon Kirshner, I didn't know her. You know, I don't come from the world. Our world's not really into faith. She walked into the room at Princeton Theological Seminary like this breath of fresh air. This, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the Santana winds, you know, this, this Holy Spirit breath of joy and a spirit that says, we've got possibilities. Let me hear yours and let's do it together. What a gift to the church. So I want to just say blessings to you all as you all begin this season together. Now, you might notice my sultry voice. It's not a sore throat. I was diagnosed with a dysphonia about a decade ago that has taken away my ability to sing, but I've refused to allow it to silence me. And I have to tell you, if you would have told me that I'd be preaching with this voice 
in the middle of Scotland, in the middle of Harvard, I would have said never. I would have wanted to hide. But clearly God had other plans for me. So now someone who used to sing solos now sings mostly solo. Uh, <laughs> you know, you got, you got to deal with what you've been dealt. Um, so now, friends, the text, this short text that I've selected for today comes from the New Testament, let, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and it's basically a word of encouragement, a word that continues to speak to us in the midst of the challenges that were once and the challenges that clearly are. So listen to the word of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us, within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Hold on to that. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Accept no limits. Just do it. That well-known Nike marketing phrase was echoing in my head as I challenged myself to climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge in Australia this past October. Fully outfitted, attached by a cable to the 52,000 tons of the world's largest steel bridge. I stood in silence some 440 feet above the harbor and it was beyond anything I could have imagined myself to have experienced or envisioned. Although it was completely different from the realities I had just encountered for 20 days, the view offered a unique vantage point from which to reflect on what had been a historic trip, because never had a Presbyterian moderator previously visited this part of the globe, the globe known as the Pacifica, or the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Like you gotta work to find it on a map. Watching the sunset, I considered the conversations held with members and young people and church leaders on these island nations that I was privileged to visit. I considered the limits imposed on them by a combination of both human sin and natural disasters, especially the rising sea levels, the climate change challenges that we're wrestling with. That reality causing conversation about relocating your home, about migration, a tapestry of Pacifica diaspora woven together with the pain of what it means to lose your place and its impact on the identity of a people. 
The trip began with us convening in Hawaii, which I'm not going to labor on, but they too are struggling with the same challenges of the islands I will share with you briefly. We began our visit in the Pacific Islands with the United Church of Christ in the Marshall Islands. There we heard of the continued impact of the nuclear testing that occurred in the 1950s. This is not folklore. We met with descendants from Bikini Island whose families relocated at least three times. Now living on this little island, I don't even know if it's an island, maybe it's an atoll, um, an edged island. There's this story of being told you have to move if you want your children to grow up healthy without the impact of what the nuclear residual effects could be on them. I don't know about you, but the thought of my kids getting sick would quickly make me want to relocate. I can't imagine what it would be like to be told you have to go where you don't want to go to save your, the life of your children. And then we went to Kiribati, and the residents of Kiribati, that's one of the poorest regions on the globe, facing rising sea levels that indicate that they probably will not have a home in the next few decades. The average feet above sea level was no higher than 26 feet. Can you imagine already negotiating with other island nations how you might need to create a new nation in one of their uninhabited islands. And then there was Fiji, not the Fiji that we all imagine, you know, that really pretty Fiji that we all fantasize about going to, and it's there. But we visited with the Dunn family in what could be described as a family village, or, or I don't know what to call it, uh, compound. We walked to a swamp to get to the ocean that had covered their family burial grounds. Seven generations have lived there, and the remaining 60 residents don't want to leave, notwithstanding the constant threat of what's called king tides, king tides that can literally swallow them up. That's just a reality that then is coupled with the challenges of economics, of domestic violence, of increased drug abuse. All symptoms, as we know, of a people struggling with belonging, with identity, that is being threatened by forces beyond themselves. This was a world I did not know. It was both humbling and sobering, their world seemingly limited, constrained by realities they were facing, and yet there was something else at play. There was a movement of faith tied into a reclaiming of possibilities. 
The church was grounded on this theology of resurrection in a real way as they started addressing their harsh realities instead of focusing only on relocation and migration. They were turning their attention to new and creative ways of adaptation, of trying to respond to the reality of the sea around them. Imagine being surrounded by the sea and not having clean water. They were planting mangroves, building seawalls, imagining new ways to literally turn the tide so that they might be able to regain the possibility of staying in their home. Theirs was and is a story written on the margins and footnotes. A story that does not always make it to the page that we read. They are the embodiment of embracing Paul's words, able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. From the margins and the footnotes, so much life happens there, amen, that we never read about. What took me by surprise was how my spirit was stirred in a way that I had not expected. Their stories caused my spirit to confront to develop a deeper understanding of my own story as a child and descendant of another island people, an identity framed by the diaspora of my ancestors. And I'll be honest, even now, it's not a journey I like to take as it opens up wounds, making me feel more vulnerable than I care to admit. This journey made me realize that notwithstanding how well adjusted I may act or look, I still live with the scars and emotional markings of a people of diaspora claiming my identity in the midst of the limits whispered or imposed on me and others by a dominant culture. My story is one that has also struggled to move from the margins and footnotes, seeking a way to get on the pages that might otherwise be read. About 15 years ago, I'm sure you know him well now by name, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote his first Broadway production and won his first Tony. Very few of the world knew him then. I've known him since he was two. <laughs> but this was the first play ever that told the story of the Latino community in New York City in a way that was seen and heard and tied to the common humanity across all of us. So the drama takes place in a small neighborhood in Upper Manhattan called Washington Heights. And Miranda weaves together the aroma of coffee and the sounds of music with the universal themes of family, community, and hope. He tells the story of a multicultural Latino population in a neighborhood who feel powerless before the cultural challenges around them. 
And yet at the center of this story, we find Abuela Claudia, Grandma Claudia, who, like other immigrants, came to the U.S. as a child, her mother coming from Cuba, working, cleaning houses in order to make a way that had once been unimagined for her child. Now elderly on that stage, Abuela Claudia serves as a link between the heritage and courage of the past and the movement beyond the present to a future. Like a queen, she sits on her tenement steps, her words of wisdom central to the encouragement to those that live there of the limits of not having enough to pay college tuition, of not being able to find a job because the color of skin, of the inability to afford a better place to live. Her spirit is defined by this recurring theme in the play, no pare, sigue, sigue. No pare, sigue, sigue, which means don't stop, keep moving forward. For me, it echoes the words of the Apostle Paul to the letter of Philippians, press on. Her faith allowed her to imagine more for the world of those she was creating. These words inspire possibilities and hope for those in the play, but surely for those of us in the audience. They reflect my family history. My late parents, my dad had an eighth grade education and my mom had a fifth grade education when they came to the mainland from Puerto Rico to build some kind of life. And as Puerto Rico is part of the United States, just let's clarify that. My dad fought in the Korean War his point of entry, Gary, Indiana, and my mom would make party hats in a factory, saving her pennies to bring her three sisters in New York City. Three daughters later, at the age of 40, my dad left his job of 20 years and went to college and seminary. My mom left the life she knew and loved, and I thought I was 16, and I thought they lost their minds, Anna. <laughs> where they moved to the state of Maine. Get the picture here? <laughs> state of Maine, where my dad, whose first language was Spanish, studied Greek and Hebrew and English. And my mom would work at the seminary cafeteria, feeding the hungry souls of the seminarians with no guarantee of any future they would rise up where the world would have contained them, where the world said no because of language, accent, skin tone, culture. They could hear God's voice being louder, saying, don't stop, press on, compelling them forward. They heard the whisper of the spirit within them saying, you can accomplish with me far more than you can ever imagine. My dad had become a Presbyterian pastor. My mom served as an elder as she secretly pursued her high school equivalency. She didn't tell us until after she got it. Their witness humbles me because they courageously heard God's voice to break into the limits of complacency and comfort where they lived. 
They chose a resurrection faith over the messages of the world around them that would limit who they were. But they knew who they were because of whose they were. They resisted and rejected narratives of scarcity and limitations. Theirs is a story written on the margins and footnotes that you will never read, but that have found their way into the pages of my story and the stories of others. Theirs is the sound of no pare, sigue, sigue. You can't say that without moving, just so you know. <laughs> Theirs is a story that has shaped the sound of my journey, the determination to press on sometimes when it's been really hard, to believe that God's intention for me clearly has been far greater than what I could have imagined. But I'm confident that there are many stories like that right here in this room. Stories that mirror some part of my journey that have found a way to move beyond being told no to the yes of who we were created to be, to the yes and hope that we've been given. N.T. writes as hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or blind, I'm adding Pollyanna optimism. It is a mode of knowing, a mode within us which new things are possible. Options are not shut down and new creation can happen. Hear that church, hear that. Where is it that your voice is longing to find its way from the margins and footnotes, listen to those Holy Spirit whispers compelling you forward to places beyond what seems manageable so you can be a people of justice, mercy, and love in this space at this time. This is the kind of people we've been called to be before a culture and a church that is weary. Have you been weary? Say yes. Anxious, we just came out of four grueling years, but there will be more grueling years before us. That's the human journey. We, you and I, are holders of a faith. We are bearers of faithful stories, such as the one that I shared, who believe that our faith can make a difference beyond here, out there, in a hurting world, who believe that God will take us places far beyond anything we can imagine. May we together, Central, you're doing it. May you continue to claim stories from the margins and footnotes and incorporate them onto the pages of your larger narrative. For in those margins and footnotes, we will find the voices of those long silenced. We will see faces that have been invisible and unseen. We will find stories of the unexpected, the unassumed, that inspire and encourage us as a witness together to be a people of faith, confident that we can accomplish far more than we could have ever imagined.
press on. Embrace the sounds of nobody sigue, sigue. Nobody sigue, sigue. Come on. Nobody sigue, sigue. Oh, better than that. Nobody sigue, sigue. Press on, Central. God has blessed you richly, richly. Blessings. We are glad you joined us for this podcast from Central Presbyterian Church. Central is a welcoming congregation of the Presbyterian Church USA located in downtown Atlanta across from the state capitol. For more information about the life, work and ministries please visit our website at cpcatlanta.org. We also invite you to join us for worship and Sunday school and experience this exciting and diverse body of believers who seek to be bearers of God's justice in the world. Thanks again for listening.